So this morning we are in the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 11. We finally got out of Luke chapter 10, amazingly enough. The book of Luke is a narrative. Now, one of the things about narratives, uh, if you ever find yourself in a place where you have to preach a narrative or even just a Bible study of a narrative, one of the things that occurs oftentimes with narratives is the story that happens kind of as a, and the moral of the story is, you know, there's kind of, when you get to the end, you're like, all right, you hammer what the, what the story is about. Uh, it's kind of like telling a joke, you know, you tell the joke, you build up to the punchline, and then you get the punchline. Narrative tends to be like that. It's not always apparent, but for instance, you get the, you get the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here they are, and they're not going to bow down, and they're not going to worship the image, and they're not going to do what the king says right up to the actual point of providing their lives if necessary. What is the the punchline of that story? Well, it's this. You don't really see God until you actually get in the fire. That's what's going on in that story. And if you said that before you got around to telling that story, I think, Personally, I think that takes something from the story. You actually want to build up to that. You want to get to the place where, like, where are we going here? And where we're going, and the story itself is plenty engaging, and and you get to the end, and you're like, all right, these guys actually get thrown in the fire, and then God appears. And sometimes in our lives, God doesn't appear until you're actually in the fire. It's a a great lesson. It's a great story. Okay, this morning, I throw that out there, by the way. This morning is not that. This morning is about prayer. And there is actually no punchline here, and I don't want you to think that there is one. So here's what we need to talk about, and I want you to put this in your mind, and I want you to think about this. The heart of prayer. We want to talk about the heart of prayer, how to pray in a way that God is going to use our prayers to transform us, to transform the world. And I don't want to leave that, actually, to the end, because we're probably going to talk about this prayer for multiple weeks. And I want us to lay this foundation, put it down, bring it out, talk about it, and then we'll go back. And as we go back, and we're going to start going through this prayer verse at a time, I don't want you to forget the foundation. Here is what the heart of prayer is. When you know who God is and what it is God is trying to accomplish, then you can begin to pray. I fear that sometimes as believers, if you've heard folks pray and you hear them, you hear them pray, there's, there's kind of a, and I don't, I don't want to criticize anybody's prayer, but sometimes our prayers are a little thin. They're a little weak. They're a little, well, Lord, if it's your will, it would be nice if. And then, and, okay, there are moments when we don't know what to pray. And there, there are moments where we may pray, Lord, we're not sure here. And the Spirit of God will intercede on our behalf. But our regular standard prayer life should be imploring God with power. We should be able to go to God and say, Lord, you want the gospel to go to the ends of the world. We beg you as the sovereign God of the universe, make us part of that process. And it's not if this is your will, this is, this is like with every fiber of our being, we pray and we beseech God. Use our lives to get the gospel out to our neighbors, to our lost co-workers. 
We're not sure exactly how God is going to answer that prayer, but there is no doubt that that is a prayer we should pray, and we should pray it with boldness. We should boldly come before the throne of grace. We should boldly come to God knowing what God is doing in the world. This whole, this whole craziness that's going on with this, with this pandemic, what is God doing? God is bringing people to himself. That's what God is doing. God uses trials. You just go through the scriptures. It's in there all over the place. God gives to Israel, if we look at them as an example and all those things were given as an example, Moses lays it right out for them. Here are the blessings. And here are the cursings. And oh, by the way, when the cursings show up, when the hard times show up, turn to God. Okay, we're in a society now that has walked away from God. This pandemic is a moment for us to remind our society, hey, life is short. Some pandemic, some, some unseen, silent killer could strike you. You might want to stop and think about that. You're not invincible. And eternity is a really long time. You might want to think about where you're going to spend it. This is an opportunity, and we should come to God and pray, Oh, Lord, use my life at this moment. This is a moment that God is at work. This is not the moment to get discouraged. This is not the moment to give up. This is not the moment to go, oh, the world is, is just, it's, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm just ready to give up. Ah, no, this is not the moment to give up. This is the moment to stand up. This is the moment to say God is at work in our midst and we need to get at this. We need to, to pray that God will give us the opportunity as our friends and coworkers and the world suddenly thinks about, hey, I could die tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it's true all the time, but they're not always reminded of it. This is a moment that God is using to remind them. This is a moment for us to pray, oh, Lord, that person that I have just been talking to you about forever, make this the moment. Pray it with fervency. Pray it with everything you've got. Go to God and talk to him. God wants us to fight the lies of the devil. The devil, I mean, he just lies about everything, right? I mean, the world, it, it's all in opposition to God. We're watching this happen over and over. And the longer you live, the more you recognize the pattern. We are watching lies permeate our society. Just permeating it. We're just watching lie after lie after lie over and over and over. I mean, the devil lies about everything. Lies about who we are. Oh, man is basically good. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're basically selfish, proud, and when the moment comes for us to decide whether or not to love our neighbor or love ourselves, well, we love ourselves. That's what we do. We do what's best for us. And if that works out bad for our neighbor, well, that's our neighbor's problem. Oh, we may put on like, oh, well, no, we don't act like that. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah, we do. We are not basically good. We have a basic problem. We're selfish. We're proud. We're self-centered. And until God does a work in our heart and talks to us and transforms us, that just sends us where we are. We, the devil lies about who God is. The devil lies about everything. He lies about the world. He lies about government. He lies about society, biology, the climate, history. You, whatever it is, you name it, the devil's got to lie for it. And we are here to speak truth, to live 
truth, to acknowledge that life is short, and to talk about it. And, and when Jesus says to us, this is how you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a prayer we need to get behind. That is a prayer we need to pray. Lord, may your truth be true in this world and may we be the people to bring it. May we be good ambassadors. Use our life. Pray it with power. Pray it with fervency. Pray it with everything you've got. Spend time talking to God about how he can use your life. This is what prayer looks like. This is what Jesus is trying to help his disciples. You can pray prayers that will transform you. They will transform the people around you. And God will use them to change the world. That's what the Bible teaches us about prayer. So, having laid a good foundation here, let's actually get into the passage. So, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, and... Once again, pointing out here that Luke has now taken the life of Jesus. He has left the Galilean region. He is on his way to Judea. Where he's at is not really all that important. Except that one of the things we know is that he's not standing on a hillside in Galilee. That's not where he is. That'll be important here in just a minute. So Jesus is at a certain place, and he's praying, and his disciples are listening to Jesus pray. And when he's done, his disciples say to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus praying out loud, his disciples are listening, and, and when he's done, they're like, we, we're not really sure how to pray. We're just, we, you need to teach us how to pray. Now, here's what's interesting. I just read for you the Matthew passage, right, about this exact prayer. Jesus has, in fact, already taught this exact prayer. And the disciples who were standing in front of him, it's surely the 12 and maybe some of the 70, will, the 12 without a doubt, were at the Sermon on the Mount. It was maybe a year and a half earlier, maybe two, depending on how you lay out the life of Jesus. So they have already heard this lesson. I don't know about you, but I find that actually quite encouraging. There are things I need to learn and relearn and relearn. Learning how to pray and thinking about how to pray and reviewing our prayer life is something that we can do with some regularity. The disciples are looking at Jesus and they're saying to him, would you teach us how to pray? Except the answer that Jesus gives them, as, well, as, as you can see, when you read the Luke account, is slightly abbreviated but identical to what he talked in Matthew. So it's like, you guys have already heard all this. And by the way, the answer hasn't changed. Jesus doesn't give them a different formula or a different structure by which to pray. He doesn't give them a different outline. This is how prayer goes. It's a little different than I did. No, it's not any different than what he did back in Matthew. It's exactly the same. A little more details in Matthew, but so Jesus is going to teach them how to pray. Okay, you guys obviously weren't paying attention the first time, so... I'll give it to you again. I'll I'll give it to you the exact same way. Now, why do they need to be instructed? Well, unfortunately, the society, the place in which they were, the first century Judaism, the way that prayer went on during their lifetime was just not good. They found themselves in a culture and in a religion and in a place where prayer was done 
incorrectly. Which is why Jesus says to them, look, when you pray, I don't want you to pray to the hypocrites. How do they pray? Well, first of all, they love to pray on the street corners. And, and, and when they pray in the synagogue, they stand up and for a show, for everyone to go, oh, they're so godly. Listen to their prayers. They, and that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted everyone to see how, how godly they were by the prayers they prayed. They weren't actually praying to God. They're praying to the audience. One of the things, if you ever get around to where you do any kind of public prayer, one of the things you have to wrestle with is, is you have to remember, okay, I'm not praying, but I'm just praying to God. This is, I'm talking to God. Whether anyone else is listening, whether you're praying with me, whether you're, I don't know what you're doing, whatever it is you're doing, I'm praying to God. And if you have the opportunity to pray publicly, please endeavor to the best of your ability to ignore the fact that anyone else is listening to you. Just pray to God. Not these guys. They were consumed with how everyone saw them. They would literally stand on street corners, sound the trumpet, and then pray. Okay. So that was one of the lessons that they thought about prayer. Well, the whole reason for praying here is to do that. And, and of course, the other way was to use meaningless repetition. So you had these memorized prayers, and you would, you would pray them, and over and over and over, and you would just keep praying. And the next thing you know, you've got a little string of beads, you know, that you're flipping off as you, as you keep count of how many times you've said this prayer. Right? Okay. Jesus is like, don't, yeah, don't go there. Don't do that. It, you may all remember the book. Hopefully you don't actually remember the book. I probably shouldn't even say this, but the book, The Prayer of Jabez. You know, the guy who got out there and prayed, oh, Lord, increase my territory and expand my tent, or however that thing went. Um, it's a great passage of Scripture, and I'm, I'm glad that Jabez prayed it. It's wonderful. And I'm, and I'm glad that God answered it. It's a good prayer. There are any number of good prayers in the Bible, and we're going to look at several of them as time permits. But you know the idea that somehow you should take that prayer and memorize that prayer, and that you should say that prayer. Well, if I say that prayer once, God is, you know. But if I say that prayer, like, every day before I eat, you know, so depending on your reading schedule, three, four, five, six, you know, I don't know, oh, once, twice. You know, depending on how it is your reading schedule is, you're like, okay, if I pray this prayer three times, then God is going to make my tent even bigger. Well, maybe if you prayed it six times, you make it even bigger than that. And the next thing you know, you're out here praying it 20 times and 30 times and 50 times. It's like, you know, somewhere in there, you might want to come back to this one. Don't use meaningless repetition. Don't, don't you know, God heard your prayer. God heard it. Pray it with earnestness. Pray it with sincerity. Pray with everything you've got. And then leave it with God. Move on, by the way, to the next prayer. I mean, we pray without ceasing. It's not like you stop praying for things. But just find other things to pray about. And you know what? God is either going to increase your tent or he's not. He's either going to answer the prayer of Jabez in your life or he's not. And praying it more and more and more and more and more to the point where you're just mindlessly repeating some prayer, I, that is not going to appeal to God. Um, Luke will go on, and we'll get there in chapter 20. Jesus will say that, Beware the Pharisees, they devour widows' houses, and for appearance' sake, offer long prayers. These will receive the greater condemnation. Well, there's a condemnation of long prayers. No, it's not completely, but if you're earnest and there's a moment to pray a long prayer, by all means, feel free. But there, the idea, and this was 
prevalent in their society was that you should have ritualistic prayers and you prayed them for the purposes of everyone to see what a great memory you had or, or how wonderful an orator you were and your ability to, to speak to God. And so everything was done for show. Everything was done to impress people. Well, when, they, when Jesus prayed, his disciples are listening to him and they're like, you know, this is, this is completely different than anything we've heard. This is a totally different enter into prayer than, than what we've had. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, there were multiple Old Testament passages, by the way, which would have encouraged them to pray, a few of them. Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. I cried to God for my help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help came before him into his ears. The idea that the average person should go to God in prayer is is certainly present in the Old Testament. It's clearly there, Psalm 34. For I sought the Lord... He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. For us to go to God and to cry to God in prayer is absolutely a biblical thing to be doing. So to leave prayer to the professionals... um, you know, if you want me to, I, I can pray for you, but I can't say your prayer for you. You need to pray. You need to pray to God. They needed to pray to God. When Jesus finally shows up at the temple and he drives out the money changers, what does he say to them? Behold, my father's house is a house of prayer. And you guys have made it into a den of thieves. The house of God is a place to come and to beseech God and to pray to God. The disciples should have known how to pray. They should not have had to ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. They should have had a clear understanding of how to pray. Now, you know, it's not their fault. They were raised in the society they were raised in. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them at all. He simply shows them how to pray. But I want us this morning to take a look at some Old Testament prayers that the disciples could have looked at and should have been brought to their attention and would have shown them just incredible prayers. We're going to look at a few of these, and I want us to remember that these are included in the Old Testament for the specific purpose of us to see what a prayer that God answers looks like. So turn, if you would, because some of these are a little lengthy, Deuteronomy chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. This is Moses here, and he's, he's writing this, and he's writing about his prayer. Deuteronomy 9.26. And on the back of your bulletin, by the way, is a place for you to take notes if you're interested. So, I pray to the Lord. Oh, Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, when you brought, whom you brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Don't regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. 
Lest the land from which you brought us say, well, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. They are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And God, by the way, doesn't destroy them. Now, look at this prayer. Look at how Moses talks to God. Lord, okay, your people deserve it. There's no doubt. I I know they're stubborn. I know they're wicked. I know that they deserve for you to wipe them all out. But Lord, how is that going to make you look? You rescued them out of Egypt. You brought them out here in the wilderness. Your promise to them was that you were going to lead them as a nation into the promised land. Now, if you destroy them all, that's not going to look good. Your name is important, Lord. Your name matters. And you have already made these promises, and you really ought to keep your word and keep. And, and remember, Lord, remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Okay, this is Moses praying to God. This is effective prayer. You can pray to God like this. This is a great example of, of a prayer that God answers. Lord, for your name's sake, for your name's sake, because of the God that you are, because I, I, people know I believe in you. People know that I have sought to follow you. And so, Lord, for your name's sake, make your gospel effective. Bring about transformation. Show true righteousness in this world. Show true justice. Elevate the righteous. Take care of the wicked. Because, Lord, you are who you are, and you're the great God. And we have declared you to be the great God, the sovereign God, who is in charge of all. Those are prayers that we can pray, and you can pray them with everything you've got. Another prayer, 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is the prayer of Hannah. Remember Hannah, right? Remember Hannah? Um, this is Samuel's mom. Remember, she, she just couldn't have children. She comes and she prays to God with such fervency and, and so determined to have God answer her prayer that Eli thought she was drunk. It's like, what are you doing coming here? You know, it's, it's like, oh, no, this is just grief of heart because she was praying. Her lips were moving, but her mouth, nothing was coming out. And now this is the prayer of Hannah. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. But the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has bore seven. She who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He rises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth of the Lord and on them he set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. The wicked, 
to be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is Hannah. This is a woman who prayed to God and is the mom of Samuel. No wonder wonder Samuel is such an amazing, righteous guy, right? Samuel, one of the few guys in the entire Bible that God talks a lot about his whole life, no criticism of Samuel. And start thinking about the number of people that the Bible records uh, their shortcomings. Okay, Samuel, one of the very few guys, no shortcomings. An amazing servant of God. With a mom like this, not surprising. With an ability to pray like this, my goodness, I think any mom who prayed like this for her kids, no wonder their kids are righteous. No wonder their children are growing up and serving God. What an amazing prayer for this woman to pray. How theologically rich and sound and and appealing to God because of who he is. This is anything but, well, Lord, I don't know. I hope you, you, oh, no, no. You can see this woman praying this with the power of God. That's how we should pray. And the way you pray this is you pray these kinds of prayers. This is the kind of thing you pray for. Why? Because this is what God is doing. This is who God is. This is not asking God for, there's a whole list of, Things I think we go and ask God for. And it's okay. I mean, it's okay. You can ask God for the mundane things of life. It's, it's, it's okay. I pray that and leave it with God and, and everything. You know, you have not because you ask not. But be careful about begging God to provide you with, I don't know what, health and wealth and wisdom. Be, well, wisdom you can beg for. But be careful about begging God for, for just that he would make us healthy or that he would make us wealthy. I, You can ask for those things. No one wants to be ill, and we want to beseech God to be merciful to us, for sure. That's okay. But when it comes time to really pray, I mean, really pour your whole soul into it. Pray for our world and our society that the truth of God will be known. The sovereignty of God. The power of God. That we would watch God do a work that takes our breath away in its power and unexpectedness. Pray. All right. Last Old Testament prayer we're going to look at this morning. I want us to look at it because it's really important. This is Solomon's prayer when he dedicates the temple. Now remember, Jesus has said to those who were in charge of the temple... Not Solomon's, by the way. He's got torn down and dragged off by the Babylonians. But Herod's temple, they tried to replace it. This is when Solomon has finally got the temple built. He's put the Ark of the Covenant down there in the Holy of Holies, and it's, it's in the center. And Solomon now stands before the altar, and he prays. And I don't, I don't think we even have time to read this whole prayer. I'm not going to read all of it. But I want us to just, I mean, drink this in. Imagine Solomon standing there and praying this. I mean, talk about God coming down. 1 Kings 8, 22. So Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord and the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. And by the way, the posture of prayer 
Uh, you can look. There are people who pray on their knees. There are people who pray standing up. There are people who pray looking down. There are people who pray looking up. There are people who pray with their hands up. There are people who, it doesn't say what they do with their hands. The posture of prayer, as the occasion presents itself, uh, you know. And if you'd like to pray with your hands raised, that's fine. It's, it's, it's good. There's a moment to do that. Uh, if you want to pray on your knees, it's good. It's, it's certainly people who pray on their knees. Um, times to pray. Some people pray three times a day. Some people pray all the time. Some people have certain lists they go through and they pray for. Um, what's, what's essential is that you pray. Pray. So here's Solomon. He lifts up his hands and he says this. O Lord God of Israel. Now, just, just note this, okay? Remember Jesus gave us the outline of how to pray. Right? And I imagine everybody in this place has memorized the Lord's Prayer, or actually the disciples' prayer, somewhere in your life. Okay, so just, just watch that come to life. Oh, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. Keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant, David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand and fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell in the earth? I mean, really? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servants pray before you this day. That your eyes may be open night and day towards this house. The place of which you have said, my name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servants offer towards this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act. Judge your servants. Condemn the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicate the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. We can pray this prayer, folks. Oh, Lord. Do justice, right? When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they've sinned against you and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, hear in heaven. Forget the sins of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave your fathers. Now, we're not Israel and we don't replace Israel. But we can pray for our nation. We can pray for the world. We can pray, Lord, elevate the righteous and take care of the wicked. Because God desires to do that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is just putting meat on those bones for the nation of Israel. But we can pray this for our nation and the nations of the world. Lord, exalt righteousness. 
promote righteous people. Verse 41, we'll jump down just a little bit here. Likewise, when a foreigner, that's us, by the way, that, that'd be us, we're the foreigners, who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name. Amen. Yes, we have. And your mighty hand, and oh yes, we have. And of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Oh, pray that our nation would fear God. Pray that our nation would fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That they would fear the God of Jesus. Pray. Pray that God would transform our society and us. And that God, by the way, would use us. That God would do whatever it takes to transform us to be used by him. Pray. Pray. God answers prayer. God is getting this stuff done anyway, right? God is at work in this world. God is, in fact, elevating the righteous and punishing the wicked. And if you don't think that, well, you know, there's a harvest every single day. God reaps the wicked out of the world every day. Thousands of people step into eternity every single day. They may not be the ones we're thinking are our enemies or that we were hoping God would rain his justice on at just this moment, but... There is a harvest. Pray that God would elevate the righteous and take care of the wicked. Pray it. Why? Because God is righteous. And God does not desire the wicked to succeed in this world. So pray. Pray that God would bring about righteous. This is not the moment to give up. This is not the moment to throw up our hands. This is not the moment to say, well... I don't know, I was going to pray the kingdom of God come, but I don't know, I'm not sure we're going to be here for the kingdom of God anyway. So, you know, well, the end times, I mean, they're here. Well, you know, it's just going to wax worse and worse. So I guess we should just, you know, lock ourselves in our bedrooms and watch Netflix or something. You know, that's it. I guess we're just going to watch the place go down the tubes. No, no, we're not. Not without beseeching God, not without praying, not without speaking the truth, not without getting out there and being the truth of God. At least warn our neighbors. Judgment is coming. God would love to intervene and provide you with salvation. The gospel is going to transform you. But speak. Who knows what God will do? Who knows what God has for the future. We have no idea. We may suddenly watch a revival sweep over this world the likes of which we have never seen. I don't know. Why not pray for it? Why not pray that that's what God do? And that God use us. God use our lives. That is a great prayer to pray. And then you leave it in the sovereign hands of God. And if it happens, great. If it doesn't, The sovereignty of God is still the sovereignty of God. But at least we have beseeched God. So let's pray. 
Let's pray. Father, you desire righteousness. You desire righteousness in our lives. You created this world. You created this world to reveal yourself in it. It's your world. The sun shines at your direction. The rain falls because you send it. The climate is under your control. The very water we drink, the air we breathe, the ground we walk on is all by your creative hand, design, and purpose. And its design and purpose is to bring glory to you. We are your ambassadors. We are those that you have left in this world to accomplish your will. You love this world. It's your world. You created it. You are the sovereign God. And we watch what the wicked are doing in the midst of your world. We watch them misuse it and lie about it and lie about you and lie about your word. And we watch wickedness seem, for the moment, to prevail. But we know, Lord, that you are still sovereign. You still sit on the throne. And though the devil may seek to arise like Goliath, he may seek to stand up and to appear so successful and he seems to permeate everything and, and the very newspapers we read and the TV we watch and all media and just, it just seems so pervasive and the battle just seems so hard. But the fact is, Lord, like David with his stone, we need only step into the battle. We need only throw the stone. We need only draw the sword of your word and speak the truth. And you, Lord, same God, same God as David, the same God that Peter walked on water with, the same, the same God who made the sun stop, the same God who created this world. You're the God we serve. You are righteous. You are holy. And you desire your kingdom to come and your will to be done on this earth just as it is done in heaven. And we beseech you to please do your will. Start in our lives. Start with us. Help us to see our sin, our shortcomings, our lack of faith, our lack of right priorities. Transform us first and then use our lives. Make us ambassadors who will speak and who will do your bidding. Use our lives, Lord. Make them matter. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.